Good morning. It's good to be with you again. Uh, as Tom said, for those of you uh, whom I haven't met, my name is Nathan Barzi, um, and I'm a pastor at Christ the King Church out in um, Newton. Um, can I ask you to stand up once more for the reading of God's Word? Our passage this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Have a seat, and let's pray once more before we come to this passage. Father in heaven, you are good to us, you are gracious to us, uh, and and not least in the fact that you have revealed yourself to us and have given us your word, that that week after week we might sit underneath it, um, and that you, Holy Spirit, might be at work through it. Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that you would send your spirit into this place. And we pray that with boldness and with confidence because it is a thing that you have promised to do. Uh, Jesus, you said before you went to your father that it was actually good that you go uh, because you would send the comforter. You would send the advocate. You would send the Holy Spirit to remind you of ev- uh, to remind us of everything that you taught. Your word promises that it never goes out and then returns to you without accomplishing its purpose. And so, Father, we pray that you would accomplish your purpose with us this morning uh, as we attend to your word. I pray, Lord God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, so in Newton, we've been doing a series this summer in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and we've gotten to chapter 7. And if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you might know that 1 Corinthians 7 is one of the hardest chapters in the Bible. Um, It is one in which Paul deals with questions about being married and being single, with being divorced, with being widowed, with being married. Uh, to those who have walked away from the faith. In other words, he deals with some of the most personal and and even some of the most painful topics in all of Scripture. Um, It is really good. It is really good that the Bible talks about things like this so that we know that God's Word addresses the realities of the lives that we actually live. Um, Having said that, most of the chapter, um, I would be very reluctant to preach as a guest preacher. 
um, because I don't know your stories as well as I think I, I need to, to preach uh, most of, of these texts. Maybe with the exception of this one, uh, right in the middle. Um, right in the middle, um, Paul actually puts his, his main point. He actually puts the kind of general principle that he's trying to work out in the rest of the chapter. Um, and even though he's not in, in this section talking about matters of sexuality or marriage or divorce, um, he, he is nonetheless getting right to the heart of the matter. See, in this chapter, he's responding to a letter that the Corinthians had written to him. If you, if you look back at, at verse 1 of chapter 7, he says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So he's now responding to a letter. And most scholars think that the rest of that verse it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Most scholars think that that's a quote from their letter. Um, a lot of translations will actually put quotation marks around it. Um, Paul is responding uh, to what they said to him. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Um, and in, in most of the chapter, he, just, he practically works through questions pertaining to sexuality and marriage and gives pretty much a qualified no to that statement, like that's, he basically says that's not quite right. There might be circumstances, but that's not a general principle uh, for Christians. But here, in verses 17 to 24, he digs beneath the surface, and he gets at the question underneath the question. Because see, what the Corinthians are suggesting to him, the Corinthian church, we know from the rest of the letter, um, was really into... Uh, being seen as being wiser than other people, being more spiritual than other people. What they're suggesting when they say it is good for a man not to touch a woman, what they're saying is, listen, real quick Christians are past all of this physical stuff, right? They're past all of this sexuality stuff. Um, marriage uh, is an earthly matter, and we're past all that, right? Um, they're suggesting to him that there are circumstances that are holier than others. There, there are ways of living life that are holier. There's, there's, there's a way of living life that real Christians, the holy ones, uh, will, will, will pursue. Um, and right here uh, in the center uh, of, of the chapter, Paul addresses that directly. Um, when he says, in fact, there are no circumstances that are holier than others. Every Christian is called. Every Christian uh, has a calling uh, from, from God. Um, what Paul is going to say in these verses uh, is that whether or not you are called as a Christian... Whether or not you are living your life as a real Christian doesn't depend on the circumstances of your life. On the contrary, you can serve God, you can live as a Christian, you can live a fully faithful life as you're called from any circumstances. The only thing that depends on your circumstances is how that service plays out, how that life uh, plays out. And Paul is going to say um, it can work in any set of circumstances. So let's take a look at this. Um, Paul in verse 17 lays out the, the general principle. He says, as God has distributed to each one 
As the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordained in all the churches. This, this reference to all the churches is, in some ways, a little bit of a dig at the Corinthians. You know, they, you get the sense from this letter that they think they're kind of special, that they're kind of unique. Um, and it's kind of his way of saying, listen, you're not unique. You're not unique uh, in that I'm saying this to you, because I say this to all the churches. And you're also not unique in needing to hear it. Um, he talks here about walking as the Lord has called each one. So let me pause here and ask, how do you think about what you are doing with your life? How, how, how do you think about how to decide what to do with this life that God has given you? Most of us at some point in our lives have been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? And, and some of us... Um, uh, as, as even as old as we are, are still trying to figure that out. What do I want to do with my life? Um, you listen to the world around you, you get, you get all kinds of different advice, right? You should think about doing something that will bring you security, right? A, a stable income, something you can make a living. Um, something maybe that is fulfilling to you, something that's, that's challenging, right? That uses, uses your talents. Um, maybe it's something... Uh, that'll bring you fame or fortune you know, or prestige or status, right? Those are, the, those are the kinds of things that we tend to hear and tend to think about. It's not very often that we use the language of being called. Or, or if we do use that language, because it hasn't gone away completely. You do sometimes hear about people having a, a calling, right? But, but in what context do you tend to hear that? Um, usually it's people who might be called to full-time ministry. Or maybe it's a, a calling uh, to an artistic pursuit. You'll hear that kind of language sometimes. You know, our artists, other uniquely talented individuals are said to, to have a calling. Have, have you, have each of you, have, has everyone in this room ever considered that every single one of you, by virtue of being a Christian, is called into a particular life. And I want to be clear um, that in talking about being called, uh, I am not just talking about your job. I'm not just talking about paid employment. Paid employment might be one of your callings. But there is all kinds of unpaid and vital work. Uh, raising children. Uh, caring for aging parents, uh, being a neighbor, being a friend or a roommate, all of the different relationships. But most of us actually have multiple callings uh, in our lives. But have you ever thought about that idea, that these places where God has put you are, in fact, callings? We live right now in such an exceedingly mobile culture, um, you know, we probably have more freedom to choose what we will do with our lives um, than any culture, than any society has ever had before. And so this is a really important question for us. How do we think about what to do with our lives? How do we think about how it is that God has called us? Verse 17, I actually like this translation here in the, the, the pew Bibles you've got here, the New King James. Um, I really like how 
um, it talks about uh, how God has distributed to each one and has called each one, because it really gets at this idea, which is definitely in the, in the Greek, in the text, um, that the calling is both universal, every Christian has a calling, but this idea of distributing um, or, or, or sort of partialing out, you know, gets at the idea that the calling on your life is particular to you. Uh, it's similar to the way later in the, in the letter, Paul's going to talk about the body of Christ having many members, many different gifts. They're all different, but they're all essential. Something similar is going on, uh, is, is going on here. You know, so how do you, how do you think about this? Um, so one, one very famous uh, way of, of thinking about calling, it was a German theologian named Friedrich Biechner, um, who... The, the quotes that he gave, he said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Um, that's not bad. That's not bad. That gets at the idea of, you know, one of the ways that God calls you is you look at, you know, what, do, what am I drawn to? What do I love to do? And, and what does the world need? And where do those intersect? And, and others, you know, kind of building off that idea have added in, um, there's what you love to do. There's what the world needs. There's also what you're good at. And, and sometimes what you love to do and what you're good at, those aren't necessarily the same things. Um, then there's also what do you actually have the opportunity to do, which, to be blunt about it, could mean what will someone pay you for. Um, you know, and, and sort of the, the sweet spot, the sweet spot is if you can get, like, the intersection of that Venn diagram, you know, something that you love and you're good at it, Someone will give you a job, uh, and the world needs it. You find all four of those things, and you say, ah, there's my calling. That sounds great. And if you, if you, if you land there, if you find that, um, give glory to God. Give thanks. Um, you, you are, you are one, of, one of the fortunate few. Because um, I want you to know, uh, not everyone gets that. Not, not everyone gets all four of those. And... Many might have that at some point, but it won't last. One of the things that, that we're going to see as we look at how Paul works this out with his two examples, circumcision and, and slavery, um, is the idea that every Christian is called and called into what you are doing, where God has put you. Um, but that doesn't mean that you are locked in to just one thing uh, for your entire life. Uh, and that's a really, and that's a really important point. Um, the basic point, just to return back to what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, the basic point that Paul is saying here, in response to their idea that surely there are circumstances, there's a there's a there's a way of living life that is holier than others. They suggested, you know, without marriage, without sex, right? His response to that is no, 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 no. Any set of life circumstances. Wherever you find yourself, God can use that. And God is calling you to serve him in some way from those circumstances. So your question, the question you should be asking yourself, um, at least in the short term, in the immediate term, is not how do I change my life circumstances. It's how is God calling me to serve him from right here where I am now. He uses two examples. Uh, to, to work this out. He talks about circumcision. He talks about slavery. Um, 
Why does he bring up circumcision? So, in his day and age, circumcision could be socially advantageous or disadvantageous. Um, in, a, in a pagan society, and this is probably the context for the Corinthians, they're, they're in a very Gentile pagan culture, um, being circumcised could be socially disadvantageous. There would be an incentive to cover up uh, the fact that you had been born a Jew and that you were circumcised. Um, now, we also know from a lot of the New Testament that there were many people who were teaching that in order to be a real Christian, since Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, being a real Christian meant becoming Jewish, like all the way, including being circumcised. Um, and so both of those ideas, you know, there, there, there could be pressures to, to be circumcised, uh, to not be circumcised. And Paul is simply saying it doesn't matter. Um, now, Paul was raised a Jew. Paul was raised a Pharisee. You know, he's not going to say that circumcision is completely meaningless. But with regard to your status before God, with regard to whether you're living a faithful Christian life, with regard to whether you're actually a Christian, circumcision doesn't mean anything. What he says um, is that what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Um, that might sound a little strange. Uh, after all, wasn't circumcision a commandment of God? How, why, he's saying that one is meaningless and yet keeping the commandments of God uh, is what matters. And the reason is that for Paul, obedience to God, doing what he says, following his word, um, he doesn't equate that with works of the law, like circumcision. For Paul, obedience, faithfulness to what God says, is always the fruit of salvation, not the means to it. Right? It's, 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 it's the inevitable result of being a Christian, not the way that you get in. Um, one of my favorite places in the Bible that, that talks about this, that we will be singing later, Psalm 78, um, it talks about the reason that we tell these stories to our kids. This is right at the beginning of Psalm 78. The reason that we tell our children these stories is so that they will set their hope on God and not forget the works of the Lord but obey all of his commandments, right? And it's in that order. Set your hope on God. Don't forget what he has done for you. And then you'll be able to obey, right? It's, it's, it's not the other way around. It's not you obey and then God cares for you. Um, it's he's cared for you first. And on that basis, you can obey. Paul goes on now to talk about freedom and slavery. Um, it, 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 it needs to be said um, that the slavery that he's talking about here um, is not at all uh, slavery the way it was practiced in this country. Um, he is not here talking about uh, chattel slavery um, as it was practiced for hundreds of years in the West, where people were treated as property, um, two ways that we know that one is that he mentions the idea of being able to attain your freedom uh, which would not have been an option uh, under, under chattel slavery um, and the other is simply that scripture rules out 
that form of slavery again and again and again. Um, it's throughout scripture. I'll just mention two texts uh, quickly. Um, one, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he gives one of those lists of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, these lists sort of show up in different places. And in 1 Timothy 1, he includes enslavers uh, in, that, in that list. Um, the other one I'll mention is that in Deuteronomy, this is interesting, um, in, in, in the law given in Deuteronomy, theft uh, is never a capital offense. The, the restitution for theft is always, you know, you have to give back what you stole or, or give back the value or twice the value or something like that. It's never a capital offense with one exception, and that's kidnapping. If you steal a person, that's a capital offense. And chattel slavery, as it was practiced uh, in this country and, and throughout the West for hundreds of years, depended on stealing people from their homes, from their families. So this is not what Paul is talking about. Um, what Paul is talking about was the more common practice uh, in, in the Roman world um, where people would sometimes have to sell themselves into slavery or they might be, become a slave by being taken captive in a conflict. Um, but they did have the opportunity uh, to um, work or, or buy their way uh, out of it. Um, verse 20 is as close as Paul gets to saying that simply you should stay as you are or stay as you were when you were called. So verse 20, he says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Thankfully, we know right away that he doesn't mean like that, that you cannot change your circumstances because he gives this exception. If you have the opportunity to become free, avail yourself of that. Um, I'm really thankful for that exception. I'm really thankful that he put that in there. Um, I don't know about you, but a lot of us have have testimonies, have stories, you know, that when we were called, when we became Christians, we were middle schoolers. I am really glad that I'm allowed to progress beyond middle school, because middle school, yikes, uh, wouldn't pay me to go back there. Um, those of you who are in middle school, I'm sorry, it'll be over soon, I promise. Um, Paul's point, again, just like he said before, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, is simply that your status with regard to the world, whether you find yourself a slave or free, that does not determine your status before God. And it doesn't determine the question of whether you have a calling from God and whether you can serve him in your current circumstances. He, he goes so far as to say, he says, look, if you were called when you were a slave, well, in reality, you're free. In Christ, you're free of all things. And on the other hand, if you were free, according to the way the world thinks about freedom, when you were called by Christ, well, guess what? You're a slave to Christ. You're in his service. Um, I love how Augustine talks about being a slave to Christ. He says uh, in, in his confessions, which is a prayer, he says to God, in your service, there is perfect freedom. Um, Paul is reminding us uh, that freedom, the way the world thinks about it, uh, typically freedom from constraints, freedom to do whatever we want, really isn't worth that much. What matters is what is freedom for. 
What have you been set free for? What have you been set free? What have you been called to be? That's the question that Paul wants us to wrestle with. Um, in chapter 6, uh, he talks about how he has uh, freedom to do all things, but he won't be mastered by his freedom. Uh, that's a pretty insightful comment. Uh, a lot of us know the experience of having so many options, so much freedom, uh, that we feel like we're dominated by our own desires. Uh, and Paul says, no, 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 because I know what I'm free for. I know who I'm really following, who I'm really serving. Paul wraps up his, his argument here um, in verse 24. He says, brothers, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Um, there's a couple different ways to think about this verse, uh, and they're both beautiful. Um, the word remain there, remain with God, that is the same word that the Gospel of John uses again and again and again. Most significantly, when Jesus himself uses it, uh, to say not simply remain, but abide. Abide in me. It's it's the same word. Um, The calling ultimately is to abide uh, in God. As I said before, having a calling, considering that your current circumstances, whatever they are, um, are a calling from which you can serve God right now, that could uh, feel... um, somewhat suffocating if we thought that that meant that a calling locks you into doing one thing uh, forever. One thing that I often tell uh, young people as we, as, we, as we talk about vocation, I, I help to lead a, um, a nine-month fellowship that spends an entire academic year talking about questions about work and vocation and rest and, and, and the things that we're talking about here. And one thing that I often encourage them, because they're usually very early in their career, they're in entry-level jobs, they're in jobs they might not like very much, they're in jobs that they definitely don't want to stay in forever, um, or they're struggling to find work. Uh, or, as I said before, they're struggling uh, with the other callings in their lives, whether it's roommates and friends and family, uh, or dating, or early marriage, right? I mean, all of these different ways that God has, has called us. To serve him. Um, and one thing that I often tell them um, is that you have to be able to hold together in your mind the idea uh, that God is calling you to serve him from where you are right now, but that he may call you to do something else in the future. It's okay to hold those things together. Um, you know, you think about the ways that God called uh, the people of Israel. You think about the way that he called Abram out of a very comfortable existence in earth and called him to go. He didn't tell him quite where, right? Go to the land that I will show you and trust him. Um, think about him calling the nation of Israel and how like, there was that pillar of fire by night and smoke by day. And when it moved, they moved. And when it stopped, they stopped, right? Um, the calling was simply to stay with the cloud, 
The calling was simply to stay with God. The calling is simply to abide in him and to find your rest uh, and your hope and your confidence there. Um, If you draw your life from God, you know, when Jesus says abide in me, it's when he says I am the uh, vine and you're the branches. If you draw your life from God the way a branch draws life from the vine, then you will always have a home. You will always have a place in him. Even as the circumstances of your life change and might change radically. The other way to read this verse, um, some translations, if you have a New International Version, um, it actually says something a little different. It says, brothers, as those who are responsible to God, remain in the station where you were, where you were called. You go, well, that's, that's kind of weird. Where did, where did responsible come from? Right? It just, that word doesn't show up at all um, in, in the translation that we read. And the reason is because there's just this little Greek preposition there um, that in this translation is with, with God, but it can also mean before God and, and, and very much, you know, uh, this is very much before in the sense of being before someone to whom you're responsible. If Paul wanted to say you are responsible to God, this is how he would say it. He would use this, this preposition. So some translations like the NIV um, have translated it that way. But this is also beautiful. And here's the reason. That the idea of being before God, being responsible to God, that's calling language too. Um, that's the language of the prophets. Every single one of the prophets, when they were called, they had an experience of being before God, being in his presence. So much so that Uh, Jeremiah, when he's challenging false prophets, one of the things that he says is, when were you ever before God? Right? That's his point is, you didn't have that calling that that I had. You're a false prophet. Um, Every one of the prophets was before God, was called, and was given the spirit. Right? The spirit rests on the prophets uh, and is given to them uh, as, as a guide Uh, as a counselor, right? And the beautiful thing is that in the New Testament, we see the lavishness of God's grace as God's Spirit is poured out on all of his people. Not just particular individuals called as prophets, but on all of his people. Your calling comes with the Spirit. In other words, if 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 the main thing that Paul wants us to do is to abide in Christ, What Paul is saying here is that God has not just given you a calling and then said, okay, let's see how you do. Um, God has given you a calling and then he has also given you himself. He has given you everything that you need uh, to be faithful uh, to this calling. And Paul reminds us that this wasn't free. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. It's something he said earlier uh, in, in this letter, in chapter 6, when he said, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. God is not only our creator, he is also our savior. And he is our savior at the price of Christ's blood shed for us. We're reminded that Christ, uh, that God was in Christ making peace 
by the blood of his cross. And he did this before uh, he called you. So again, it's not that God uh, has put the law out there and said, let's see how faithful and obedient you can be to this before I'll save you. He saves you uh, and then you obey. Uh, It's not that he has given you a calling and says, let's see how you measure up. Um, He has given you himself with that calling. The way Paul puts it in in, in his letter to the Romans um, is is really worth uh, remembering and really worth memorizing, right? He who did not withhold his only son from us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? So my my encouragement to you, um, as you think about what you're doing with your life, uh, is to think about the calling that you have. The calling that you have now, the callings that you have now, the callings that you will have in the future. But as you do that, um, you can do it with hope. You can do it with confidence. You can do it without the paralysis that sometimes comes when we think about what we're doing with our lives. Um, Because you can have confidence, you can have hope and assurance uh, that God has given you his spirit uh, to be with you as you think through those things. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are a God who... um, Scripture makes pretty clear that you don't need us. Uh, You did not need to create the world. It's not that you were lonely or bored. Um, You did not need to save a people that had turned away from you. Um, But you have done these things. And, and, And then... Against all expectations, uh, and sometimes to our confusion, you have called us uh, into your service. Um, You have promised us um, that even as we uh, sometimes stumble and fail, uh, you already know. You already know uh, all of our weaknesses uh, and all of our failings, and you love us anyway. You died for us anyway, knowing everything that we would do. And so I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom and discernment, yes, uh, to, to work out um, how it is that you are calling us. Um, but more than this, I pray that you would give us hope. And I pray that you would give us confidence. And I pray that you would make us bold to serve you in the circumstances where we find ourselves today. Father, I thank you. Um, that the resources to do all of this have been given because you have given us yourself. You have poured out your spirit on all of your people. For these things, we are grateful. We thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.